Tonight we find ourselves in Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30. Let me read that and we will uh, pray. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for an opportunity to look into your word. And we would ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds, give us understanding and grace that we may go forth with the confidence that a passage like this uh, should produce, knowing that our confidence is not in the flesh, but in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. In his name we ask it. Amen. Okay, remember last week... uh, God works all things together for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purposes. And then he goes on to, for those uh, he foreknew, he also predestined. So uh, let's take a look here. On your uh, outline, purpose and progress of salvation, the purpose of salvation we see in verses uh, verse 29 C and D. We're actually going to start with the purpose so that when we get down to the progress, we can see the uh, first half of the verse and then verse 30. So notice the purpose of salvation, it is to conform believers. Now, why is this important? What is the thing that we promise everyone when we're talking to them about the gospel? It's all about heaven. And God's saying, no, it really isn't. It's all about you becoming more like my son. And, and one of the reasons why that's important, and hopefully by the time, hopefully I can communicate well enough tonight that when you see the, these two verses from that perspective, you see that it really is the work of God from beginning to end. And it really is about him being glorified as he uh, works this process on us. So, notice, to be conformed to the image of his son, the word conform there is sum, uh, that would be together, uh, morphos, to change, jointly formed, similar, conformed um, to or fashioned like unto, uh, built on the foundation of no condemnation. Now, I don't know about you, but normally by the time we get to verse 29, we're not thinking about verse 1. And the reason why we need to catch this is because he starts out with, after the struggle with the law of sin in your members, there's no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. By the time we get to verse uh, 28, he's saying God works all things together for the good for those who love him. They would be the ones that are in Christ Jesus. For those who are the called according to his purposes, those are the ones that are in Christ Jesus. Now, he's already talked about how to overcome the law of sin by walking in the Spirit. Uh, He's dealt with uh, um, uh, putting to death the deeds of the body through the power of the Spirit. Uh, He's talked about security. And when we get here, he started out with security, and now he's going to show you why security is not an issue. Again, we're not talking about how a Christian might feel about their salvation. We're talking about salvation from God's perspective. Security is not an issue, okay? So it's built on the foundation of no condemnation. The sanctification process started at salvation. It will continue until we are perfected. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, th- think about that for just a moment. The conforming process started at salvation. The one who started it is going to complete it. What does that say about your salvation? Is it secure? Oh, yeah. Okay, there, there is no if, ands, or buts. Again, we're not talking about how you feel. We're talking about the ones that God has saved, the one that God is at work at. He is going to finish that work, which means if you're born again, you are getting to the end. There is no if, ands, or buts about that. Okay? Um, 
It continues until we're perfected. It includes trials. Why? Well, to develop patience, endurance, long-suffering, if you will, the character of Christ. Romans uh, 5, 3, and 5. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. James 1.3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So God uses trials to develop the character of Christ in us. That's going to include patience, perseverance. I, I don't know about you. Think about how patient God is with us. Okay, when we think about how we deal with our own kids, there comes a point where I've had it up to here, and we kind of read them the riot act, right? And how often does God read you the riot act? Boy, I tell you what, if God gave me what I deserved throughout my Christian life, oh, life would be miserable. <laughs> now, were there times of misery within the chastisement? Sure. But he did not give me according to my sins. So he, uh, trials uh, do that. They also prove that faith is real. 1 Peter 1.7, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So you're going through these trials uh, of life, and ultimately that brings you to the judgment seat of Christ where your faith is proven to be real. Okay? And also it develops humility and dependence on God's grace. And again, I know I read this uh, passage, I think it was last week, but 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said... My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And again, most of you know the rest of the passage, but he comes to a conclusion that, look, if this is what it takes to experience a life in the power of God in my life, hey, bring it on. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to have dependence upon God's grace. And also, uh, I prevented him from getting proud. Letter B, uh, being conformed to the image of his son. Uh, th this, of course, we know from 1 John 3, 1 and 2. Ultimately, it is the completion of our salvation. First uh, John 3, 1 and 2 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see him as he is. Uh, as far as going back to the image of uh, his son, the previous line there, 1 Corinthians 14, uh, 15, 49, and as we have borne the image of the man of dust, who's that? Adam, as we have borne that image, we, also, uh, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Who's that? Jesus. So uh, that's part of God's revelation here. Now notice this uh, being conformed to the image of his son includes both body and spirit. Uh, Romans 6, 5 says, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, if you're born again, the old man died, you were raised again uh, to walk in newness of life. Notice it says, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. What was he like when he was raised? Well, he could still eat and drink, and he could walk through walls, and he didn't describe himself as flesh and blood, but flesh and bone. Hmm. We don't really have a good understanding, but the body is definitely a little bit different, even though it did have scars on it. 
Uh, don't know that we're necessarily going to, but uh, his served a purpose. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 54. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead uh, will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So, when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. And of course, uh, Philippians 3.21, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Now, one of the things that we need to remember is the Holy Spirit is the down payment, right? It is the down payment uh, promising the rest is going to be paid. We are presently saved from the condemnation of sin. We are being saved through the conforming process from the power of sin. Someday we're going to be saved from the presence of sin. So that glorified body, that uh, changed body, is not going to have any law of sin in its members. Therefore, no more sickness, no more pain, no more death, all those things that we kind of look forward to, uh, that is part of us being conformed to the image of his son. Spiritually, in 1 Corinthians uh, 3, I have 10 to 15 there. I'm just going to read 11 to 15. For no other foundation can be uh, can anyone lay that, uh, than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's the foundation, right? Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet so as by fire. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, I don't know about you, but there have been times in my Christian walk when I realized, you know, if I die right now, I'm going to heaven. But I'm just not looking forward to this judgment seat thing. Why? Because I knew there were things that were wood, hay, and stubble. I knew that things were going to burn up. And it was a negative thing in my thinking. And then it became not such a negative thing. It's kind of like, hey, can't do anything about yesterday. I can only worry about living for Jesus today because I, I don't know if I got tomorrow. So be about the business, and there will be less things to be concerned with uh, when the end comes. Now, what we're going to see tonight is actually the judgment seat process is part of God bringing you to a place where you are glorified together with Him. In order for you to be like Him, there can't be anything that's all you. So that gets burned away. And when you're done with this process, you're glorified. You're conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And He does that. Why? Because he loves us, not because he's wanting to spank us on the rear end because we didn't do it right. Okay? So just something to think about there. There's actually a positive aspect uh, to the judgment seat of Christ. It's not something to be worried about. Yes, it is to be understood in the uh, first, uh, Second Corinthians 5, 9, and 10 passage. What does the next verse say? Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. So yeah, we recognize it's not going to necessarily be a pretty sight, but it is part of conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ that we, we may rule and reign with him. So we are being conformed spiritually right now, ultimately bodily and spiritually that whole work will be completed. Number two, to make Christ preeminent, verse 29D. 
that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. The word firstborn there is uh, prototokos, uh, firstborn, first begotten, or firstborn. Uh, it always refers to a son unless the daughter is specifically mentioned. Okay? The firstborn male had a privileged status. Now, we've seen in Scripture where very often the firstborn son ends up being put off to the side, and it's the secondborn. When you get to uh, Isaac's dozen, uh, the fourthborn gets one uh, part of the blessing, and then it's the 11thborn boy, not the 11thborn child, but the 11thborn boy that gets the double blessing because all the rest of them messed up. <laughs> okay, so But under normal circumstances, the firstborn is going to get two-thirds if there's two sons, he's going to get two-thirds of uh, dad's estate. He gets the ruling power of the estate. Uh, the namesake is all going to come through him and that kind of thing. So he uh, had a privileged status. Uh, this term is used figurative, figuratively to represent preeminence. In Colossians 1.18, it says, ah, there it is, and he is the head of the body the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. In other words, so that he's number one. Okay? A uh, football game is played. Uh, they win. They got the state champion. We're number one. We're number one. Nope, nope. When this whole thing goes down and we're on the victory side, he's number one. He's number one. That's the way it's uh, supposed to be. Okay, uh, notice among many brethren, the term brethren is synonymous for believers in almost every use in the New Testament. So God's primary purpose in redeeming people is that they get to go to heaven. No, that believers are adopted into God's family and God, uh, Jesus calls them brothers and sisters. He makes them part of him, one of his that kind of thing. Uh, Matthew twelve fifty says, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and mother. Uh, Hebrews two eleven, For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. The, the concept of community that we're trying to help people learn and establish on Wednesday nights. Why? Well, you know, when things really go down, we'll have somebody. No, it's because we are part of an organism called the body of Christ. He is the head of the body. We are one. Uh, if you read John 17, where Jesus is praying, you know, uh, that they may be one like we are one. You and me and me and you. And, and he goes using all this terminology that, hey, this is the way we is. So if you're born again, this is the way we is. Okay? We're not trying to develop something that isn't true about us. We need to understand this is true about us uh, so that we can, uh, well, act like it. <laughs> okay? Notice letter B, the progress of salvation. So the rest of the, the first verse and the second verse uh, we're going to see right here. Uh, the, he, he says several things, five times I believe it is. He says, he also, he also. Whom he did this to, he also did this to. Uh, so we need to understand that as we're looking at the rest of this passage, the plan of salvation from God's perspective, which guarantees the finished product. Okay, um, when we when we talk about salvation, so often uh, we talk about. Well, I heard a guy today on the radio. I went down to Blues Creek. That's an hour drive, so Christian radio, you know. But this guy sat there and said, you know, if you'll just say this prayer with me, and then of course he leads them through a sinner's prayer. If you said that prayer, welcome to the family. And I'm sitting there going. You don't know that person's heart. You don't know what they're going through right now. They may have said that prayer, like, throw the coins in the air and see how many of them come up heads. You don't know. that. That's not the way we do it. And, of course, 
Those that are a little bit more free will oriented, they lean in that direction. Last time I saw my mother-in-law, we had uh, four wonderful days. And then she had to bring up the idea of uh, uh, altar calls. And I, I tolerated and I tolerated. And I finally said, Mom, it's not biblical. Well, you know, I go, yeah, they've only been doing it for the last couple hundred years. Show me in the Bible where someone did that. You know, well, we're going to say the sinner's prayer. It's just not biblical. Yes, men do need to choose. But God is the one that initiates and does all that's necessary. And so whenever we think of salvation, we think of it from the perspective of us. Well, you know, I remember I one day I went forward in a church and I, I said the sinner's prayer. Kind of like, yeah, big whoopee. I did that, okay. I went forward in a church and I said the sinner's prayer and I thought to myself, I've done this once before. I remember reading a chick track and I had said the sinner's prayer at the end. Of course, I don't relate my salvation to when I said that first sinner's prayer. I relate it to the second time because at that point, boy, I was convinced I was on my way to hell and Jesus Christ was my only hope. So I went forward because that's what the church did. But notice, what did God do from the first time I said that to the second time I said that? Okay? Uh, he's the one that opened my eyes to my tr- the truth that I needed to know. He's the one that brought upon me the, the uh, sense of condemnation, the conviction. Man, I, I mean, here I am riding a motorcycle back and forth to work about 25 miles each way in wintertime in Connecticut, saying, oh, God, please let me live until I can get back to church. Because I, I thought I had to do it at church. And, uh, you know, so we, we talk about free will. And, of course, here we, we lean a whole lot more towards sovereign grace. It is God that does the work. Both are involved. But when we're looking at this verse, we are seeing salvation from God's perspective. So he's not in, he, nowhere in this is he going to be talking about, you came forward and said a sinner's prayer. Okay? So let's take a look at it. First of all, foreknowledge. For whom he foreknew. Okay? Uh, This is the beginning of God's purpose. The word foreknowledge is prognosco. So you got gnosco, that's no, pro, before. So to know beforehand. Uh, To foresee, to foreknow, to ordain, to know before. A lot of people look at this word and they see God back there before the foundations as we're looking down through time and seeing Who's going to respond to the gospel call? Oh, there's one. I'm going to put his name in my little book. That's not what it means, okay? Notice it's to know beforehand. It's not to look down and find out, okay? Notice the idea of looking down through time to see who would choose him is unbiblical and illogical in that it puts the reason why he chooses people on them. Oh, that person's going to have faith. Now I'm going to choose him. Salvation would begin with man's faith, and therefore man's faith would obligate God to grant salvation, which eliminates grace. See what I'm saying? So when we're looking at the concept of to know beforehand, this deals with God's foreordination, and for love. Uh, Matthew 7, 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The wonderful thing about God's love is that in loving us, he gives us the opportunity to choose him. Now, I heard about a young man that used to be at our church that is struggling with his walk of faith right now. Um, Let's say he's not walking by faith right now. But his struggle is, why would God create men who are not going to choose him and then condemn them for it? Now, that's a question that a lot of people would ask, but I want you to think about it with me. If he didn't give them the choice, is he loving They have to love him if he doesn't give them the choice. Oh, yeah, they might all go to heaven. 
but he's not being loving to them, and they're not truly loving him. He gives the opportunity for people to choose, even though he knows that some are not going to choose him. And when we talk about anything not being fair, the only thing that's not fair is that you and I got to be a part of his family because we were all twisted because of Adam's sin, all on our way to hell, and God chose to intervene. He foreordained. He foreloved people. Um, 2 Timothy 2.19, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So his responsibility, to know who knows him. Our responsibility, put off, put on, put off, put on, that kind of a thing, okay? So as we go down here, notice letter B, God's work started before the foundation of the world. Oops, uh, looks like in my transfer of information, I got predestination on there twice. Sorry about that. That's okay. We'll get past it. Notice the kingdom. Uh, in Matthew twenty-five thirty-four. it says, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, on his right hand, not his right hand, uh, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The kingdom that he's talking about is something that is yet to happen. It's going to happen in the future. When did God prepare it? before the foundation of the world. Next page. Forget that little line on the bottom of your notes, predestination. We'll get there. How about the chosen or the elect? Ephesians 1.4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So you have those that are elect chosen from before the foundation of the world. 1 Peter 1.2 elect according to the foreknowledge or the foreordination or the forelove of God in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you, and peace be multiplied. Another thing that happened before the foundation of the world, the death of Christ. First Peter 1.20 says, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. So God ordained before creation that Christ was going to come for what purpose? Revelation 13, 8. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. <laughs> uh, 13, 8. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, the Antichrist, whose names have not been written in the book of the life a book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world so not only was the book written before the foundation of the world christ in god's eyes was crucified before the foundations of the world so our names were written in the book of life, as that verse just said, Revelation 17, 8, in case you didn't catch it the first time, the beast you saw, wa uh, saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When you see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Again, that same guy that was talking about uh, saying the sinner's prayer, uh, after he was done, he said, ask God to write your name in the book of life. Yeah, it's been there since from before the foundation of the world. And I'm not saying that the person that said the sinner's prayer didn't get saved. I'm just saying... <laughs> The, the prayer was a nice little thing. Maybe he figures it makes things make sense in their head. But the reality is the name was written from, the, from before the foundation of the world. A uh, song that uh, one of our past members used to love to sing. Uh, There's a new name written down in glory and it's mine. No, no, it's not because it's not new. It's been there for a while. Okay. And again, that all deals with God's foreknowledge. Okay. Uh, which... Those whom he foreknew, he predestined. 
A lot of people don't like this concept of predestination. Uh, There's a couple of reasons for it. First of all, they don't understand it. Second of all, it takes away that whole concept of free will. Even though they complain that if a person has free will, they might make the wrong choice. Oh, boy. So let's take a look at it. The word predestination is prorizo, uh, to limit in advance, to predetermine, to determine beforehand, to ordain, to predestinate. Notice in both uh, for uh, knowledge and predestination, we have this idea of God determining something ahead of time. Literally, it means to mark out a point or determine beforehand. Now, is there a problem with God determining something before it happens? Wow, when we have a problem with that, we have a big problem because one of, if you will, one of God's callings in the Old Testament was, hey, I'm going to tell you about it before it happens so that when it happens, you'll know I'm he. Okay? It's kind of an important thing. So uh, what does God predetermine sometimes? Well, in Jeremiah 1.5, Jeremiah's ministry was predestined. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. When did God know Jeremiah? Before he was conceived. So Jeremiah, in the mind of God, is a person before he comes into existence. Okay? Uh, I knew you. He says, uh, before you were born, I sanctified you. I set you apart to do what I want you to do. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. I remember when I was going through Bible college, finally graduated, and uh, I was going to stay there and work for a little while because I needed to pay off uh, debt, and you know, I, I wasn't attached to anybody, and yeah, I was working for a ministry doing about 100,000 pounds of laundry a week. So anyone knows how to uh, fold fitted sheets? I'm the guy, (laughs) okay? Um, And one of the students who was graduating with me, she goes, well, I guess you got nothing else. And it's kind of like, you know, she was going back to her life. She had done her time in Bible college, and she was going back to her life, whatever that consisted of. And, And I really felt like what she said was like, a real put down because I wasn't running off to do something else. In my mind, I was doing what was available for me to do. Um, I never wanted to be a pastor. And here I is. Uh, why? Maybe it has something to do with what God was doing in my life. And the reason why I was doing laundry for a couple of years was there was some work to be done. (laughs) Okay, not just the laundry either, uh, working on me. So a whole point being is uh, Jeremiah's ministry, chosen before he even comes into existence. How about Christ's crucifixion? In Acts chapter uh, 2 there, it says, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and have put to death. So why did they kill him? Because they were jealous. Why did they kill him? Because God said they were going to. God determined beforehand that they were going to do this. Why? Because it had to be done. Okay? But he used their very issues with him to bring about what he needed, well, wanted done so that we might be saved. Uh, Acts chapter 4, verses 27 and 28. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. The death of Christ? (laughs) Not an accident. Or as Motley Crue once wrote in one of their rock songs, The God Who Failed. And if you read the words to that song, it's Jesus hanging on the cross. He failed. Nah. God predetermined this is how the victory was going to be won. 
Okay, so uh, predestination. Notice uh, adoption and inheritance. Uh, going back to Ephesians one four, um, having predestined us according to uh, well one four is he uh, chose us in him before the foundation of the world that you should be holy and without blame before him in love. Verse five, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Verse 11 says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So in both cases, adoption and an inheritance, uh, the God has predetermined that we get to participate in that. Uh, how about... Uh, let me see here. We have ministry, we have Christ's crucifixion, we have adoption and inheritance. That brings us down to letter B. Salvation is not based first on man's faith, but on God's predetermined choice and activity in our lives. Uh, Ephesians 1, 7 through 9, in him. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Okay, so again, salvation from God's perspective, he foreknew us. He predetermined that we would uh, be conformed to the image of his son. Uh, also, we see in verse 30, uh, letter A, uh, he called us. Now, when I was in Bible college, they taught us election, and I really struggled with the whole concept of election because I thought I had chosen Jesus, and I had said my sinner's prayer, and therefore God kind of had to honor that whole thing. And then they're talking to me about how God chose me for, from before the foundations of the world and not by anything that he saw in me. And I thought, well, that's not fair. I was right. <laughs> it wasn't fair. <laughs> okay. Uh, but... Uh, it, it, it was one of those things that was kind of hard to grasp at six months old in the Lord. Uh, and then, of course, they talked about these two calls. You have the general call, which normally is designed, uh, I mean, defined as, well, they have nature that declares the glory of God. True. In fact, that's enough for them to know that there is a God, and he's a pretty wow God. Romans chapter 1. Um, but there's also the gospel call. Uh, who are we supposed to be preaching the gospel to? If you listen to the people that are more free will oriented, you would think that we're only supposed to be preaching the gospel. Uh, we believe they would say uh, that we're only going to preach to the elect. Do you know how to identify those? Because that, that would be easier. You know, they got a little seal on their head. Someday, yes. Right now, I mean, we may have a seal on our head, but I don't know about you. I can't see it. So what's my job? It's go and preach the gospel to every creature, right? To all people. And uh, we let God weed them out, right? And so uh, whole point being here is there is a general call in the sense that they have nature and they have the gospel call. Notice the general call, an outward call of the gospel to everyone. Uh, Romans ten fourteen. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So when we come back to the concept of we all ought to be in the business of living it and then proclaiming it to people that uh, God opens the doors to talk to, right? Uh, and then if he's done a work in their heart, they might actually receive that gospel call. If he hasn't, they, they might come to church. They might learn to look like us in their uh, activities and stuff like that, but all they got was a general call, okay? Now, when we go on a little bit further, notice uh, it cannot and will not be responded to those, uh, by those who are dead in their sins. John 1.13, uh, most of us know 12, but as many as receive him, to them he gave authority to be called children of God. Um, and then it goes on, uh, and to them who uh, believed on his name. Verse 13 says, who were born, the idea is being born again, not of blood, 
In other words, it has nothing to do with family relation, nor of the will of flesh, has nothing to do with a person's determination or will, nor of the will of man, or, or you know, I'm going to say, my kid is going to be saved. No, can't do that. Nor of the will of man, can't be his will that's going to bring about salvation, but of God. And then John 3.18, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten of the Son. So obviously, he hasn't believed. Either he hasn't heard the general call, or he refused to believe the general call. In both cases, notice it has nothing to do with man's faith that brings about salvation. Uh, Notice number two, double predestination is not taught in Scripture. Now, some people think that if God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, they normally think that predestined means election. He chose some to be saved, which he did do. Does that mean he chose others to go to hell? And the best way to explain this is we're all already on our way to hell. He reaches in and grabs a few and pulls them out so that they don't go. He hasn't determined these people are going to hell. Those people are already on their way. So double predestination, the idea that some he calls to heaven, the rest he determines they're going to hell. No, no, they're already on their way. And again, when we talk about who made the rules... Who made the rules? God did, right? Those rules are based on His character. Unlike what we've seen in politics, where we're going to show favoritism to a certain son, even though we have all kinds of proof that they're guilty, or to a certain president's wife, even though we have all kinds of proof that they're guilty. God doesn't do that. Because he's the one that came up with the rules. Those rules are based on his character. Therefore, he will implement the rules as stated. So we're all on our way to hell because we're all born in sin. And if he chooses to save some, he's not wrong because he hasn't saved all. He's gracious because he saved some. None of us deserved it. Okay, so double predestination is unbiblical. It is not taught in Scripture. Uh, Let me see here. That brings us down to letter B, the effective call. Now, again, this is one of those things where really the, the Bible doesn't have this term general call and effective call. But when you see where some people do respond and some others don't, even though they might fully understand the concept, it's kind of like, and you understand that God in his sovereign grace is the one that works in the heart. Obviously, he makes the call effective in some people. Uh, so the call, uh, the called that are spoken of in verse uh, uh, twenty-eight, as well as here, uh, that's the ones that we're talking about here. Notice first they are foreknown, then they are predestined. Therefore, those in whose heart the Holy Spirit works to lead them to saving faith in Christ. Second uh, Thessalonians, excuse me, 2, 13 and 14. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice Who's doing all of the work there? It's God. Now, did the people believe? Yes, they did. But God did everything so that they could. Okay? Uh, how about, uh, let me see, is there a second verse there? There is. Second uh, Timothy 1.9. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time Began. So we have another one of those things that was given to us before creation. We weren't even a, a flicker in our grandfather's eyes yet, and it, God's already determined 
that this is going to happen type thing. So uh, it is those in whose heart the Holy Spirit works to lead them to saving faith. Those whom he called, he also justified. Uh, verse 30b, the word justification there is dikaio, uh, to render just or innocent, free, justified, justifier, to be righteous. Believers being made right with God by God. And of course, uh, Romans 4 deals with that. Uh, notice, because all have sinned, man can only be made righteous as a gift of grace. Romans three twenty three to 24, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And if you continue on with chapter 3, go into chapter 4. Again, it talks about how God justified Abraham, how he justifies anybody, Jew or Gentile, always by faith. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Uh, glorification. Letter A, God's perspective of the finished product, though in time... We haven't experienced it yet. Now, one of the things I've always loved about this passage is all of these words are past tense. Again, God's perspective. We live in time. So we have a beginning within the timeline. We have an end of this life <laughs> in the timeline. Okay? God is looking at the finished product at what we would consider the end of the timeline. That's why, from God's perspective, we're already glorified. I know if the sun is shining just right and I'm sweating, there may be a glow. But that's not the glory <laughs> that Jesus demonstrated on Matthew, uh, Matthew 17, Mark chapter 9. That's not the glory we're going to be experiencing at that time. So it is something that has not yet happened as far as we are concerned. But God works in time, lives outside of time. He sees it already done. And notice letter B, God's ultimate purpose in our salvation and that which we look forward to with hope. Uh, Romans 5, 2, going back a couple of verses here. Uh, it says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance character, character hope. Uh, Romans eight eighteen. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Eight twenty one. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Think about some of the descriptions of the new heaven, the new earth. Yes, all the carnivores are going to be laying down with the sheep and all that kind of stuff. But it, it talks about the sower is going to have a hard time because those that reap are going to be right, be right behind them. I don't know about you, but we planted our garden back there in end of March, early April, and I'm I'm looking at tomato plants, and they're really wilting until today, you know. And we're trying to water them after dark, or at least after the sun goes down. Uh, can't seem to get enough water on these things. I got a couple of little tomatoes. These are beefsteak tomatoes. You know, they're they're beefsteaks, <laughs> and and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting. Uh, normally, zucchini and squash, man, we we can't eat it all. I think we've gotten one summer squash. The zucchini plant is saying, eh, uh, we're getting nothing. Strawberry plants are dying in the ground because not enough water. And again, we're watering them. Um, it's kind of like cucumbers. I, I think we got three. They're, they're taking a whole bed. There are a couple of melons in there, but, uh, you know, they're this big. And it's kind of like, wow, you know, we do have some onions, potatoes. But out of all the potatoes we planted, not even half of them came up. Uh, and to think, someday, those that are sowing, they're going to have to run because the harvesters are right behind them. So um, that's uh, the uh, creation looking forward uh, to the glorious liberty of the children of God. First Corinthians 4.17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment. I don't know about you, but moment, my, my definition of moment and God's definition of moment in my life, two different things. Okay, I'm sitting there going, how come the house is at 80 degrees today? 
It's colder outside than it is in my house. I got the air conditioner on. A fan is working. (laughs) No cold air. This is not a momentary suffering. I am really suffering. (laughs) I'm joking, but that's how we look at trials. And God says they're momentary. He says, for the light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And uh, 2 Thessalonians 2.14, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice, who's getting what? We're getting the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then 2 Timothy 2.10, Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And again, think about the judgment seat. We're going there because when we're done with that, we are going to be experiencing the glory of the Lord. We're going to be participating in that glory. We're going to be like Jesus. So if it means burning up some of the things that I didn't get right, <laughs> go for it. Get it out of here. Why? Because, wow, it did me a lot of good while I was there. I mean, most of the things that are going to burn up, uh, we're sitting there going, you know, I kind of wish I didn't do that. Um, and some of the things when we realize how folly was involved in the whole thing, how the flesh was involved in the whole thing. Yeah, it's kind of like, that doesn't glorify God. Get rid of it. So uh, when we look at this passage, we are seeing salvation from God's perspective. Notice, he's done it all. He foreknew us. He predestined us. He called us. He justified us. And though we haven't experienced yet, he glorifies us. That's the purpose of his salvation, to conform us, to make us like his son. Why? Because we are his children. With that in mind, let's close in prayer. I'll let you go. Father, again, we thank you. As we consider the work that you have done, just to bring us here, and we recognize we're not done. There's still time. Now, we may leave this earth at any moment, We may hear the trumpet, we may hear the voice of the archangel and be raptured any moment. But at the same time, we may be here for a while. We may suffer injustices. We may suffer persecution, martyrdom. Whichever it is, we may go off into peaceful death. Whichever it is, Lord, we pray that you might continue to do the work that's necessary so that you would be glorified in us and through us. And we thank you for that work, even though sometimes we complain and we're not very thankful about it. Give us grace to overcome that also. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.